Lord Jesus, we come to this, to this place of worship today to say that you are our Saviour and our Lord and that you've reached out to us. And today we're reaching out to you. We're saying we want to give ourselves back to you. We're saying that every good thing that we have ultimately comes from you and, and we love you, we adore you. We offer ourselves back to you as living sacrifices. This is our act of worship. The fact that we're here today is a sign that we love you. We want to give ourselves to you. So take our lives, oh God, and fill us again with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for leading this worship team. And again, just again, a bit, a bit of a welcome to you. Just a reminder that our next Newcomer's Tea is actually tonight at my house, 16 Cotton Park, 5 o'clock. We've got strawberries, we've got scones, we've got a garden, if it's nice. And... Um, Anyway, so you're very welcome if you're a newcomer just to come and tell us a bit of your story, find out a bit more about us. Does it commit you to anything at all? And before I get on with my sermon, what's happening next Saturday? Well, I'm going to tell you. We're going to have um, a special evening here to celebrate Robin Pam Scott Cook. It's, as I've said many times, actually, it's like a memorial service before someone's died. You know, it's a chance to kind of say nice things. Because, I mean, who wants all those nice things said at your funeral when you're not there to listen to them? You know, I want my memorial service in advance, please. But um, no, it's not a memorial service, but it is a chance to celebrate um, many decades of Christian ministry in the city, in a variety of churches, and in the Woodlands family of churches. And um, it marks also a time where Rob is stepping out from operational leadership at Woody's. And um, actually, I'm stepping up a little bit into. Now, does that mean Rob's gone away? Well, look at Paul McCartney. He's older than Rob. He's still going strong, isn't it? So um, Rob um, and Pam are not going anywhere, and it's not they're going to stop ministering, but it's a bit of a shift of focus. And I'll be talking a bit more about Rob's ministry in my sermon. But just to say that we have not been able to accommodate everybody at that event, so we've ticketed it. And you can imagine there are people from all across the city and country who'd like to be there, as well as a couple of thousand people from the Woodlands Church family. So you can only come if you've got a ticket. And um, you probably haven't got one if you uh, haven't got one already. But you can all watch it online. And you can contribute in other ways. Now, one thing we'd love to do is give on the night a whole basket of cards of appreciation to Rob and Pam. And we're going to give them a couple of tangible gifts as well. Uh, if you're watching online, don't tell them. But uh, we are. And, um, but we, we, but we are, we'd love to give them more appropriately kind of our, our thanks and, um, and our good wishes. So if you've got a card that you'd like to give to Rob and Pam, if you get it to me this week, it will go in a basket of similar things. But also... We've got technology. We do not need to destroy trees in order to do this. And if you get my email letter, who gets my email letter? All right. If you've signed up, if you're a newcomer, you should get it. 50% of people who I write to open their emails. I track this on MailChimp. So um, for the other 50%, either you don't want to know, you think it's spam, or it's gone into your spam folder. But for those who have opened those, you'll see there's a little link to a kudos board. It's an online way in which we can express our thanks to Rob Pam. It's actually great to read. I've, I've been reading through it and seeing the tributes people have brought there. If you'd like to contribute to that online, we're going to print that out and make that into a little book for them too. So you don't even need to write a card. You don't even need to leave your home. In fact, you can do it now on your phone during the sermon if it's boring. Is that all right? Well done. Good. Oh, and if you'd like to help make a cake as well, we, of course, that's always welcome. Now, we're in the last of our sermon series on the topic, The Bible, Jesus, and Me. What we've been doing over this series is looking at some of the big themes that 
the Old Testament deals with. Some of them quite boring. But then look how they're radically um, reimagined in the life of Jesus and what that means for us as followers of Jesus today. So, um, I mean, how, when did you last read the book of Leviticus? Put your hands up. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. You just put your hands up. <laughs> oh, this, could be, this could be rough this morning, frankly. No, I, 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 I quite like the book, book of Leviticus, but it's... it's, it's Anyway, we, we won't go there now. But it's all about the role of a priest in the Old Testament. So if I, this is going to be interactive. If I'm being interactive, if I'm asking a question, please do respond. Either by shouting out, got your hands up, is, is, is good. But um, when I say the word priest, what image comes into your mind? Would anyone like to tell us what, what's the image of a priest? Pardon? Mel, Mel, oh, Melchizedek. Oh, the Old Testament scholars are out there. Okay, let's just think, let's leave aside Melchizedek for a while. <laughs> Lovely though he is. And think, think about, like, you know, when you think about, oh, I've got in my mind a mental picture of someone who I think is a priest. What do they look like? I had a dream about a priest. How would I know he's a priest? What do they look like? What, what's okay. All right, so clothing, all right? Dog collar, robes, big hat. In other words, when we think of a priest today, we tend to think of costume that they wear to show that they're a priest, right? Yeah? Okay. What, so what kind of things do we think a priest does? Tell me. Oh, hello. Intermediary and confession. Hands up if you're a Catholic here. No, I mean, it's good. So <laughs> intermediary, that's very technical. A priest, a kind of go-between us and God. In other words, the person, probably a man, with the special clothes on, who we hope that the special clothes indicate that on the inside he's a bit special too, or she's a bit special, you know, because priests, you know, we, we're not, all that's done away with, isn't it? We've got male priests and female priests. But back in the day, it used to just be men, didn't it? Nowadays, it's men and women. But um, so we hope the special clothes signify that they are good people. You know, that they're a bit better, they're a bit, they know God better than we do. Do we think that? All right, so special clothes, special people who are intermediaries, go-betweens us and God. Doing what? What do you mean go-between, intermediaries? Someone else says confession. That might be part of it. We might have done something wrong, and if we tell the priest to say, well, look, look, God, he did do this, but honestly, do let him off. It wasn't too bad. That, is that what we mean? Sort of. Any, anything, what else do priests do? Okay, so they, they, they carry out religious rites. They might celebrate like, like the sacraments, Holy Communion. They might dispense that, okay? Anything else? Teach, right, look, explain God's words to us. All right, I think all those elements that you've described, you might find in the picture of a priest in the Old Testament. So my definition, a mediator between God and worshippers, uh, an official conductor of religious rites. So you could be a priest of any kind of faith. Actually, you could be a Buddhist priest or a Hindu priest or a Christian priest. You know, you could be doing all those kind of things, and that's what you'd be doing. You'd be kind of a mediator between God and people. I remind God about the people. God, don't forget about all these people that worship you and look after them. And I remind the people about God. Hey, don't forget there's a God up there and he's watching, so be careful. You know, that, that kind of thing. 
and that I carry out rites that, that help us in the worship of God or sometimes in making sacrifices to God. So here's some things then. So in the Old Testament, and we can read about this in, in the book of Leviticus, and, but it all began, the priesthood in the Old Testament really begins with Moses and the Exodus. So let me tell you a little bit about the Old Testament story. God is raising up a nation to actually be a nation that mediates between him and the rest of humanity. So God takes Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to be a blessing to all nations. I want you to be the kind of, kind of nation that will teach other nations about me. And ultimately, God's heart is for the whole world. But it starts with Abraham, who, who has a bunch of, well, he has a kid, and this kid has another kid, and then they have a bunch of kids. And they turn into a nation, and it's called the nation of Israel. And they're in Egypt for 400 years. And on the way out, um, God raises up a man called Moses. He's got a brother called Aaron. How do we know that Moses was bald? Sometimes he went around with Aaron, and sometimes he didn't. Anyway, it's a, it's a very weak joke. But... Um, his brother Aaron is there to help him. And Moses and Aaron are both descendants of Levi, one of Jacob's 12 sons. And God says, right, we're going to have a theocracy. A theocracy is not a democracy. It's not a monarchy. It's something in between. It's, not, it's a nation ruled by God. So God says, I'm going to rule the nation, and you're going to be my representatives, you priests, and I'm going to take a whole tribe, the tribe of Levi, and out of this tribe, you are going to be the people who particularly helped me lead the nation as a theocracy. And um, some of you are going to be priests, and you're going to serve in the places that I tell you to, to create a place of worship. And the first place is going to be a tabernacle. You're going to go through the desert, and it's going to be a special place where people can meet with me. And Moses in particular is going to go there and talk to me, and I'll talk to him and show you what, what you should do. And so that's what the priest is doing. He's, he's, he's being a mediator between God and man. And in Exodus, you can read about how the priests are chosen. And they are given special clothes to wear, specially constructed clothes. They are anointed with a special oil. This is important. It's a kind of special recipe. You put that oil on the priest, marks them out as someone special. You put this special clothes on them, marks them out as someone special. And now they are speaking to God on your behalf. And actually, because the people of God keep messing up and doing things that are wrong, the priest makes sacrifices on their behalf, which somehow is a remedy for sin. It's kind of like saying to God, well, look, we've done this, but look, we're sorry, and we're going to show you we're sorry, and we're going to give you this tribute. And, and the sacrifices are all given out of their wealth. And actually, they're a kind of farming people, originally nomadic, and when they settle, they have kind of offerings that are to do with grain and wheat. Otherwise, it's animals like bulls and lambs. And they are ritually killed and got presented before God. And very often, they're given back and, and eaten by the people in, in kind of great feasts. But the priests are doing that kind of thing all the time. So they're, they're serving in the holy place. That's the job of the Levites and the priests, the tabernacle, then later the temple. They're bringing the people before God. In fact, Aaron wears on his clothing the names of all the people of Israel. He's kind of got like a breastplate on his front carrying the names of the 12 tribes. So when he goes before God, God, don't forget about these people. And he's 
making intercession. I mean, Moses is always doing that. There's, there's God saying, Moses, I think I better, I better make you a nation because these people are so hard-hearted and rebellious. They keep on kind of sitting and, and I, I, you know, I'll start again with you. And, and Moses, don't do that, God. Don't. These people, they're your people. And, and he prays for them. So he does that kind of stuff a lot. And he teaches the people. Remember, Moses gets the Ten Commandments and explains the people through them the heart of God and receives offering and receives their, their offerings when they want to give to God and makes offerings on their behalf. So um, Exodus 32, verse 11. It's, I, I could read that, but I'm going to press on, actually. But it's, um, it's, it's Moses praying to God for the part of the people. Now, Israel has this job of being a kind of people that learn to follow God and then they'll be able to teach the rest of the world. But they don't do a very good job of it and they, they're taken into exile and they, they keep on failing to follow God. In fact, they start to follow other gods all the time. But there comes a point in history where God says, look, I'm going to help people to really know me. So I'm sending my son into the world in human form so that people will be able to really understand who I am. I'm going to become small enough, local enough, human enough, so that people could really understand what I'm like. And we call that Jesus, the incarnation, Jesus came into the world. Jesus is able to do the priestly job that Israel couldn't do. He becomes like the true Israel. Why do you think he was able to do that? Any suggestions? Yeah. Now just remind me, it's, it begins with a J and it's James? Julian. Julian from Bournemouth. Anyway, <laughs> so Julian, first time here. But he's, okay, so he's able to do a better job of being a priest because he is fully God. So he can, you know, God gets it. <laughs> and Jane from Bournemouth. <laughs> Okay, so he gets, he understands the purposes of God. But of course, the other thing about Jesus is he's fully man. He's fully God and fully man. So this bit of representing God to man and man to God, Jesus can do it fully because he, he gets it. The book of Hebrews says, you know, he, he's a high priest, but not like other high priests because he knows our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way, just like we are. But he's also able to represent God to us because he knows God. He knows the Father. That's what he's come to do, to show us the Father. He says to us, you've got it all wrong about God. You think that God is like this, like a harsh, unjust judge. You think that God is like a remote, distant, unfeeling Father. You think that God's someone who's going to be satisfied by you offering sacrifices of bulls and as if he needed them. No, he's not like that. In fact, he's like a father, but the best father that you could ever know. And if you talk to your father, he wants to talk to you, and he wants to save and rescue you. And so Jesus reimagines for us, shows us what God is really like. He's the best high priest that there could ever be, because he can represent us fully to God, and represent God fully to us. We can look at Jesus and say, ah, so that's what God's like. That's fantastic. But you know when Jesus died and rose again and went to be the, with the Father, he didn't stop being a priest. 
And the book of Hebrews says to us that we have a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, Audrey, full marks, probably a brethren girl back in the day. I don't know. No, no. Anyway, <laughs> there's this mystical character in, that's, that's mentioned in Genesis and referenced in the book of, of Hebrews. High priest without beginning and end. We don't know his ancestry. And, and, and Abraham gives him a tie. So he sort of stands for Jesus. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, Melchizedek, Jesus is a priest in that order. He's a great high priest. And what is Jesus doing right now that, that demonstrates he's a high priest? Can anyone tell me? What is Jesus doing? Oh, prayer warriors, intercessors, prayer watch, Monday night, be there or be somewhere else. <laughs> and not doing the job of priesting. Um, Jesus is praying for us now. He's representing us before God. He's, he's saying to God, Dave Mitchell, he may not have been the perfect husband this week. He may not have done a very good job on his sermon prep. Every now and then, he is a bit greedy. And uh, sometimes it's really inappropriate what he says. But Father God, forgive him. <laughs> he's doing his best. Jesus is praying for me right now. And you. Actually, he's doing that. He's actually holding us before the God, the Father. Now, I'm not sure that God has really forgotten us because Jesus also said about God, he sees every hair on your head. And in my case, it's not that many. He, he, he sees every sparrow that falls. He knows us. And yet somehow there's a relationship between the Father and the Son where the Father is, you know, we're, we're, we're with Jesus in a, this particular way and Jesus is bringing us before God in a particular way because somehow we're in Christ and when he represents us before the Father, it's like we're coming into the, right at the Father's presence. And, and we're asking in the name of Jesus for the things that Jesus is praying for us. And we can see the way that Jesus prayed. You can read John 17. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed for his followers. He said, I pray that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is praying that for us now. He's praying that we would be united. Jesus is praying that for us now. But you know what it means to be um, like Christ? You see, what made Jesus a priest? Was it because he was a Levite from the tribe of Levi? No, it wasn't, was it? Because Jesus is a descendant of David, which is the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah is the place where the kings come from, not the priests. But what Jesus is, he's a royal priest. And in the Old Testament, those things are a bit separate it's a bit like we don't want to put all the power in the hands of one person. We'll have the monarchy here and the priesthood here and we'll keep them a bit, you know, kind of checks and balances, a bit like kind of president and congress or whatever it is. But, um, but Jesus is good enough, worthy enough to be a priest and a king. So what was Jesus anointed with as a king and a priest? Someone said the Holy Spirit. It wasn't with oil. We don't read about Jesus being anointed like King David with oil. What we read about is Jesus getting baptized, by the way, acting out the story of Israel, going through the water 40 days in the wilderness, a bit like 40 days, 40 years in the wilderness, but he's acting out Israel there, and he's going through the water, and the Spirit of God coming upon him like a dove resting on him, anointing him, so that when Jesus comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and stands up in the synagogue and says, this is 
The scroll of Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then to say, this day that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here's Jesus, the Christos, the anointed one, because that's what Christ means. It means anointed one. The chrism is the anointing oil. And in this case, the anointing is the spirit who is like oil or like a dove, or like fire, or like water, or like wind. He's all those things. And the Spirit is resting on Jesus, the anointed one. And what Jesus does is, he gives us his ministry. This is what 1 Peter says, chapter 2, verse 5. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. So basically, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, i.e. little anointed ones, followers of Jesus, Jesus gives away to us his ministry of being a royal priest. So our job today is to be priests. That's who we are. Now, at Woody's, we believe that. We believe in a good old Protestant doctrine, the priesthood of all believers. I choose not to wear a cassock and a dog collar because otherwise you'd all have to wear them too and that would be very expensive. <laughs> we do not wear special clothes. You know, our standard kind of priestly wear tends to be jeans or something like that. You know, we're all wearing the same clothes because we're all priests. And what is our anointing oil? It is not something made from ingredients by hand. Our anointing is the same as Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit. So you're so familiar with because we talk about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit very often. That on the day of Pentecost, when the, that group of believers were gathered together, 120 of them, then the Spirit of God came into the room and rested on each of them. And when Peter is preaching his first sermon there, and he, he talks about what was promised, what was looked forward to that day when the Spirit would come on all flesh. And it uses the language of everyone. And those days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, old, young, men servants, maid servants, because we're all anointed ones. And my qualification for being a priest does not rest on going to Bible college, fortunately. It doesn't rest on having special clothes to wear. It doesn't rest on having oil put on my head. It doesn't rest on being a better person than you, because I am not. I am the same as you. You're the same as me. I am somebody who is at times wayward and sinful and doubt, doubting and um, timid and self-centered. And I need the grace of God. I need the forgiveness of God. I need the, the intercession of God. But I'm also anointed one. I'm a both-hand person. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm part of a holy nation. I've been given the Holy Spirit. And I've been called to be a priest. And part of what we, our priest's priestly role is, there's lots of things we can do. We can give, you know, we, when we share communion, it's not 
just a special person. You can do it in your homes. You're all priests. Break bread together. Do it. They did it in their homes in the early church, didn't they? You can bring absolution. Jesus said to the disciples, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. We can tell people where they can find forgiveness and how they can be forgiven. You can all do that. You can point people to the Lord Jesus Christ who died to take away the power of sin to be not just the perfect high priest, but the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. You can do that. In fact, I commission you today <laughs> to do that. We can do the kind of things that, that, that Jesus did when he blessed the people and performed miracles. We can also do the thing that Jesus does for us today, which is to intercede, to pray. Now, I don't know whether we take the, the ministry, the priestly ministry, this sacred high calling of intercession seriously. I'm going to ask you a little bit about intercession, because this is where we're going to come into land, so forgive me if I've gone on a little bit. Prayer. Jesus prayed. The, the one thing the disciples asked him to teach them was prayer. It was a hallmark of Jesus' ministry to represent people before God. And it might be that there are people out there who need prayer right now. Can you think of anybody who needs prayer? Just have a ponder for a moment. And can you think of any situation in the world that needs prayer? Now, I said at the start of my service about Rob and Pam. They are, they're a couple who believe in prayer. They pray a lot. In fact, Rob prays as a minimum three hours a day. That's part of his calling, a life of prayer. He prays for all of us in this church. He prays for world situations. I can, I mean, I've got lots of Rob stories of prayer, but he does that he, he feels there's a real partnership with God to do that, to pray for people. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a documentary about the Maxwell family recently, isn't there? Anyone seen it on, 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 the, on TV? Robert Maxwell, the great newspaper magnate, and all that stuff, yeah? Anyway, I can remember a few days before Robert Maxwell died, Rob, God just felt Rob, God, God felt, right there, Rob felt that God was telling him to pray for Robert Maxwell. He just cut his picture out of a newspaper, put it in his wall, prayed for him. The week before Robert Maxwell died, Rob was praying for him. Why is that? Why would Rob do that to pray for someone he's never met, who's a remote figure in the newspaper? Because Rob believes that the most significant thing we can do is to pray, and that prayer changes the world. Every Tuesday, we have a prayer watch on, on Zoom at the moment. A couple of, of weeks ago... My friend Ruth Bullock, there she is, a little wave, Ruth, there she is at the back. She texted me, she said, we must pray about the deportation of migrants to Afghanistan. And she, she, she wrote to me and texted me, and I passed it on. And that was prayed for on that Tuesday prayer meeting. In the evening, I got a message from Ruth saying, the flight was cancelled. We prayed, and something changed. Ruth believes that because she takes intercession seriously. Now, how many people have got family members that they pray for? Could you put your hand up if you pray for your family members? Okay, what you're doing is you're interceding for them. Why do you intercede for them? If you're their parent, it's because otherwise they're going to drive you mad. 
No, it's not that. It's because you want the best for them, isn't it? You want the best quality of life for them. You want them to thrive. And so you pray for God. You may be a bit doubtful. God, can you do anything with this child? But I'm going to ask you anyway. But you're going to do it because you care, because you love them. And you want to ask God's blessing on them. But that activity of praying for those people, they're lucky. They've got you. They've got Christian parents. But there are people all over our city and people all over the world who haven't got Christian parents, who aren't going to be prayed for. Who's going to be praying for them? Part of our call to be in the royal priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be praying and to be asking God's blessing on the situations around the world and around our city that need prayer. And you can do that tomorrow at quarter to eight with us in the crypt because we're going to meet together and we're going to ask God to pour out his blessing, his mercy on a world that needs it really badly. But just as a start, we're going to do that now. I'm going to give you a minute of silence where you can, in your own hearts, bring before God situations that need his grace and his mercy. And then I'm going to say a prayer to bring it all together. Father God, right now, we, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we say, first of all, I need prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for me. Thank you for helping me in my weaknesses. Thank you for providing for my needs. Thank you for giving me my daily bread, which I need. Thank you for forgiving my sins, which I need. Thank you for helping me forgive others. And thank you, Lord God, that you um, deliver me from the evil one. Lord, I pray for myself that you would continue to provide for my needs. Deliver me from evil. Have mercy on me. But Father God, today also we pray for our world that we live in. Father, in our midst today, in this very room, we have people from the Ukraine who are refugees from a nation that's being blighted by intense warfare of a divided, pain-wracked situation, God. We, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, will the, the, the voice of the Spirit beat on the hearts of all those in power? Lord God, will the, 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 the love of God touch and soften hearts and inspire the consciences of people? May people not turn a blind eye to human suffering. Lord, may pride and um, arrogance or a narrative that is false not prevail. Lord God, will you bring in, in uh, and bring soon, Lord, swiftly an end to conflict, Lord God? Will you give wisdom to negotiators? Will you change the hearts of people whose hearts need changing? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, will you do that? Lord God, today we pray for the people in Afghanistan who are surveying the wreckage of their lives. And after wave after wave of destructive 
forces have hit them. They're standing in despair and they've been crying out to a remote God who they don't know. Lord God, will you send people to their aid and their rescue? Lord God, will you touch finances and, and expertise? Will you bless those people caring for wounded and vulnerable people in poorly resourced hospitals in that remote part of the world? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, today we pray for our city. Lord, we've heard about kids today who are excluded. Lord, we recognize there is a generation in our midst, in our city, and even in our own church family, who are standing in need of love and counsel, who need people to represent God to them because they feel so far from God, they don't understand. Lord God, will you raise up in the harvest field of young people in our city and in our church, God, people who can stand and bless and minister and teach. Lord, will you do it in the name of Jesus? And Lord God, will you pour out your spirit on us? Will you enable us to be people who minister the love and grace and nature of God? Will you, will you help us to demonstrate that, Lord, in Jesus' name? Amen. And we're going to close our service, actually, with a worship song. And then we'll, we'll send you on your way. And actually, if, if you have got kids, it's running a bit late. You might need to slip out even before the end and get them. But as we go into worship, just the final things we'll do is some of, we've got a prayer ministry team. We're just going to be priests amongst priests. And if you have a need for God's blessing, we will pray for you. We will lay hands on you. We will ask God to touch you with his love and mercy. So do come out during the worship song, and we'd love to pray for you. For the rest of us, let's worship. And then we'll, we'll bless one another and then send one another out. Thank you. Sorry about coming and getting prayer, by the way. <laughs>